Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. Nice to be with you today, even though I'm on a telephone in my studio instead of my regular microphone, which we're working on getting all new equipment in, having a better sound. In any case, we begin today with the Institute for Research in Biomedicine, which is in Spain, and they're talking about a study finding that vitamin B12 is a key player in cellular reprogramming and tissue regeneration. Vitamin B12 is well known as a micronutrient that has long been acknowledged for its essential role in maintaining nerve function and supporting red blood cell production and even facilitating DNA synthesis, all vital processes for overall health. And researchers are now saying that it also helps with metabolism as well. So one more reason to make sure that every day you're getting your vitamin B12. How much do you need? I suggest if you're a vegan or even a vegetarian, you try to get one milligram of methylated B12 and one milligram of folic acid to go with it with 25 milligrams of B-complex. And what we're finding now is that there's a critical role of B12 in cellular reprogramming and tissue repair. And that means that there's a lot that we can look forward to in a positive way with regenerative medicine with the potential to benefit people by improving their nutrition. So, another good study showing something natural, non-toxic works. But there's something else. This is from a hospital in India, teaching hospital, and something commonly used in Ayurvedic medicine is ashwagandha, A-S-H-W-A-G-A-N-D-H-A. And the root of ashwagandha helps support thyroid hormone levels. A lot of people in premenopause and postmenopause suffer from the underactive thyroid. Now, Dr. Martin Feldman and I wrote an article that was published in the Townsend Letter for Physicians on the thyroid gland, how to keep it healthy, and what to use if you do need a medicine, which is the safest and best medicine to use. And uh, if you want to see a copy of that, because it's really a whole classroom on the air, but in written form, go to garyandall.com and go to articles and then Go down and you'll see that one on thyroid gland, in fact, root two. But now we have new information because ashwagandha has been used as an herbal remedy for hundreds of years to help the body deal with stress. So extracts from ashwagandha root help normalize levels of serum thyroid hormones. That's what this showed. And numerous modern studies have found that ashwagandha shows a great promise for being effective in reducing inflammation decreasing stress, increasing mental activity, invigorating your body, and as an antioxidant. It even is known to alleviate arthritis better than medicines. Okay? So eight weeks of daily supplementation with ashwagandha root extract was associated with normalizing the thyroid-stimulating hormones, or TSH, and the serum hydroxine and T4 and T3. So, very good news. And by the way, all this was with a double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled trial. And it had great results. Now, from the University of Basel, which is in Switzerland, excessive fluid consumption, well, it can impact your hormones. People who drink more than three liters of fluid a day may be suffering from a rare hormone deficiency. For many, however, it's just a harmless habit. Um, failing to differentiate the two correctly can be fatal. So researchers have been investigating what kind of test delivers a reliable diagnosis. In most cases, drinking excessive amounts of fluid, known as a polyuria, polydipsia syndrome, either raises, arises out of habit over time or is concomitant with a psychological illness. In rare cases, however, it can be caused by uh, a what is called vasopressin deficiency. And that hormone, by the way, released by the pituitary gland, regulates the body's water and salt content. And people with vasopressin deficiency cannot concentrate 
their urine, causing them to lose large quantities of fluid and to feel very thirsty. So just, it's not going to affect most people, but just letting you know that uh, there, if you do have an excessive desire for water, if you're always feeling thirsty, well, it might be because you're diabetic or pre-diabetic, or you may have this rare condition. From the University of Toronto, cannabis, smoking cannabis during pregnancy, is associated with adverse birth outcomes. Infants prenatally exposed to cannabis are more likely to be born preterm, have a low birth weight, and require neonatal intensive care unit, a care that than infants without prenatal cannabis exposure. And yet, uh, this was published in the journal Addiction. And so, unfortunately, for a long time, it's been suggested to pregnant women to ease some of the anxiety or depression, smoke cannabis. Well, unfortunately, well-intentioned advice, but bad outcome. Don't smoke cannabis or take any drugs when you're pregnant. It will out, can out, the outcome can be terrible, okay? And they looked at a lot of infants. Uh, a meta-analysis, meaning a synthesis of past studies, looked at 57 prior studies with 12,901,000 infant participants and uh, 102,000 were exposed to cannabis. And a lot of that showed the disruption in normal birth. From uh, the Gansu University of Chinese Medicine, there is something that is in their family. It's called berberine, B-E-R-B-E-R-I-N-E, and it works to slow diabetes-related cognitive decline. And this was published in Rejuvenation Research. So researchers studying the mechanism of action of the natural plant-derived compound berberine have linked it to anti-inflammatory activity and the ability to regulate levels of stress response proteins, including sirtuin to berberine positive effects on memory loss and impaired learning in older adults, especially in this case in diabetic mouse model. So just one thing you can take to help slow down the central nervous system degradation. All right? And berberine also associated with better lipid or fat metabolism and decreased fasting glucose in diabetic. So just one more good thing that you can do with something that's natural and non-toxic. And finally, from Harvard School of Public Health, intake of pesticide residue from fruits and vegetables and, well, not good, it leads to infertility outcomes. Eating more fruits and vegetables with high pesticide exposure on them was associated with lower probability of pregnancy and live birth following infertility treatment for women using assisted reproductive technologies. So wherever possible, go organic, grow your own, go to a farmer's market, talk with them. You know, do they use any sprays? Now, there are non-toxic sprays. When I'm, like right now, I'm, in, uh, I'm getting ready for the winter, and I want to make sure all the trees, fruit trees in particular, have nutrients to get them through. So every month, I'm going to be fertilizing them, and I also spray them. And I spray them with a garlic, cayenne, that keeps a fungus off when it gets cold. Then otherwise, we'll start, you start seeing the leaves bubble up and... Um, and start to wrinkle up, you're not going to get any fruit that year. But by spraying them with a non-toxic spray and fertilizing them, you're strengthening the body. Just like if you gave you an infusion of vitamin B complex where you were anemic and with iron, in, it would strengthen you. So you don't want to be eating these highly sprayed uh, products. Now, there's some things that we pay an awful lot extra for the organic uh, title, but it does make a difference, like all your nuts, because the hard shell protects the inner fruit of the, uh, of the nut 
avocados the same. So not everything needs to be certified organic. But fruits and vegetables as much as possible, yes. That's the latest on health and healing. And uh, got a, I just last night, in fact, I was so interested in seeing the outcome of the editing and, and all that was done. Um, I stayed up till about 3 in the morning watching it and critiquing it. And uh, it's going to be ready to go next week, a brand new uh, video. Uh, just finished. So we have a lot of new stuff coming. You can go to GaryNall.com and look at all the different articles. And, and we're probably a week away from posting the video of uh, my science background and all that I've done over the decades. It'll be interesting. I've forgotten about a lot of this stuff. And I'm just seeing little clips. And, you know, I think, wow, yeah, that was uh, back then. Still doing it today. So we'll be back in a moment with a lot of interesting material, a lot of variety of material, different topics, but all of them important. Please stay with us. And welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. On yesterday's program, I gave a commentary about what to do instead of feeling helpless and, and being in a constant sense of angst and apathy with the world seemingly all having these disasters and crises simultaneously. Well, I consider this a good thing. Not good because people suffer, absolutely not, but good because finally we're getting to see who people really are. Behind the slogans and behind the monikers of, of virtue signaling, we're seeing you are what you do. Now I'm paying attention to what you do for the first time, possibly. And when we do that, then we suddenly think, wow, I didn't know you voted on this law or you got this amount of money from the industries uh, of, let's say, big pharma and big intelligence and, and uh, arms. And that's why you're wanting to give a blank check to different regimes like Saudi Arabia and providing bombs and intelligence to Yemen. Ask the average Yemen, uh, Yemeni, what do they think about who's causing this disaster to the poorest country already? It's like the Haiti of the Middle East. And yet, the Yemenis, they don't have an air force. They don't have warships. They don't have an intelligence agency. They, they just have the will to fight against the corruption of the previous rulers that Saudi Arabia put in place. And they are, uh, they are disappointed that the world has forgotten about them. But every day people are dying, innocent people. It's genocide. The crimes against humanity, it's Saudi Arabia, United States, United Arab Emirates, they support it. So isn't it time we looked at what someone did and possibly for the first time in many people's adult life, take responsibility for making that decision. Are they telling me the truth? And if so, how would I know? If all of my resources, Wikipedia, and nobody should be going to Wikipedia if you had any sense. If you doubt me, why don't you read the 72 articles that Richard Gell and I and Helen Bastrinik have written about Wikipedia. I don't think anyone would dare go there. And I've got Larry Singer, the co-founder of Wikipedia, uh, who will hopefully be coming on so we can talk about how everyone that I know, I mean every single person doing anything good, mainstream Orthodox doctors and scientists are all being smeared with no ability to change anything because it's a completely captured entity and it's hiding behind somehow that they're noble. They're nothing noble about Wikipedia. In any case, what if you get your information there? What if you have terminal cancer and you go there? Are they going to say, you know, there's a lot of good work being done by the Gerson people or by uh, the Stanislaw Brzezinski down in Houston, Texas. No, they're not. Are they going to talk about ways that you can enhance your diet with cruciferous vegetables and all the different nutrients and all the different medical applications? They're not going to tell you that. In fact, they're going to make that seem like it's all quackery and unproven. And yet, as you know, every single statement that I share with you is supported by peer-reviewed literature, their literature. They don't read clearly. So what if you go over to Google and you want to search you know, the truth about January 6th? 
You're only going to come back with what the core Democrats want you to believe. Well, guess what? Do a little deeper homework. And suddenly there are people out there, lawyers, who've gotten a hold of all of the video. And it shows a complete setup inside. That was, that was, a, that was a setup like Abscam when they tried to get Guccione and others trapped. They weren't able to untrap Guccione and trapped others. And also, just yesterday, are you aware that yesterday a U.S. legislator asked some important questions about um, what were called ghost buses to the head of the FBI? Yeah, this was just yesterday. Not a word of it anywhere in the media. Why not? Because he said he didn't know anything about ghost buses. Well, there they are, and big pictures, giant pictures were blown up showing you these pure white buses that arrived right into the terminal in Washington, D.C. And you see Antifa, you see all these other people getting up dressed like, you know, you would expect a, a Trump MAGA person to dress. And how many FBI agents were in that? How many other agencies, National Security, Homeland Security, were in it? They won't tell you. Hundreds? Thousands? Well, we know at least hundreds were involved. So what do you call that when the federal agency that's supposed to be protecting our rights and have one standard for law now is doing what Hillary Clinton did and Podesta and the others with their uh, the, the dossier, the Steele dossier, completely fabricated, paid for by Clintons and the Democratic Party, hiring the, one of the biggest law firms in America, and they then passed on, and the FBI had a copy and knew that it was fraudulent. Everything in it was fraudulent. But for the next three years, Adam Schiff and virtually 100% of the media would use that as a way of saying it was not a fair election because Trump had Russia behind it. Four separate major investigations, and none of these were friendly to Trump. They all found there was zero impact of uh, Russia on Trump. It was all false. Him going to hookers in the hotel room and all false, made up. Okay, well, isn't that election interference? Isn't the laptop election interference? Of course it is. But not if you're a cult member. And right now, unfortunately, both the Republican Party and Democratic Party are nothing more than cults. Neither one have any legitimacy whatsoever, nor does any of the media have any legitimacy, nor does Wikipedia, Google. Why? Because we just found out, just found out, that the CIA had been working with the social media and then the mainstream media to make sure that nothing that it challenged COVID or its narrative was allowed to be distributed. To the contrary, hundreds of groups got together, NGOs, that all should be banned in my opinion, and uh, except for those that do good work, and then see who does the good work and who shouldn't exist. And guess what? They had planned on censoring everyone who had a point of view that would challenge it, no matter how truthful it was. So they're not only saying, don't trust disinformation, but then they say, without you hearing it, we're the only ones committing disinformation on a massive scale. But then, to make sure that you don't look at us, the government, big industry, big pharma, as the problem, which we are, uh, we've got all these foundations out there and, and, uh, and groups that are saying we are monitoring all disinformation, but you belong to the deep state. Everything is corrupt. Everything everywhere is corrupt. So when you go to say something, well, you know, didn't this happen? Like in Israel, they said, oh, you know, we, we have an unedited video showing you that Hamas is headquarters under the hospital. Okay. Did you, they show you captured Hamas people? No. Did they show you the tunnels under the hospital? No. Was it unedited? Hundreds of people on the Internet are showing that what they showed you was false. Like they showed you a computer that was used by Hamas, and they showed you disks that Hamas was using. And then all these people said, all these tech people said, that computer does not play disks. Oh, well, that's something they overlooked. So what did they edit out the next time? So now there's another edited version. So it was completely edited. It was propaganda. But that's what we've seen in every single conflict. We saw it in Vietnam. We saw it in Afghanistan. We saw it in Iraq. Uh, we saw it everywhere. 
lie about everything. So why would you continue to believe people lie? I'm just saying this is an example of why today people are so frustrated because they don't know who's telling the truth and who's lying. What's well, simple? The government tells lies nonstop about everything. What's the unemployment rate? Uh, 3.6%. No, it's 27.4%. Well, we don't count people who stop looking for employment. We don't count people whose unemployment checks ran out. I see. And you're counting people that only work at minimal wage uh, in season, like a resort, uh, serving uh, dinner. You count them as fully employed. Everything is a deception. I'm really sharing this to you. But anyhow, you can look up for yourself that yesterday, happy I had Chris Ray gets caught. And who caught him? Representative Higgins releases photos of the secret January 6th ghost buses. Another set of ghost buses also filmed in D.C. that day. And guess what's, what was escorting them? Okay? You'll find that for yourself. So that would, so now, will there be an independent review of the Justice Department and the FBI and those legislators who sit on the Intelligence Committee like Adam Schiff that they knew this was coming? And all the people that sit on that January 6th committee, what kind of law is that when you don't allow the defendant to, to testify or present evidence or witnesses to their innocence? And they didn't. Everything you could do to show that you were Stalinistic kangaroo court. Now, if someone committed a crime, good. They should be held accountable. But that's not the way it's working. So people are just frustrated beyond belief. And that's why I suggested that you have to start from scratch, especially those who may be very financially limited and don't have all the resources to be healthy. Well, then create a different mindset. Cultivate creativity. Be creative. Don't look at what you can't do. Look at what you could do if you had some tools and learning and try it. Guide with your heart and your brain, not your emotions. Because your emotions right now are going to put you in a negative place. Many people become mentally handicapped at an early age by the lack of focus in this culture of, on, on creativity and the arts and individual expression. The fine arts have been removed from many public schools and offerings, and, uh, and what you get is a paltry amount in some of the private schools, meaning people may never become acquainted with these important outlets for self-discovery and expression. Many people are also taught not to express their true feelings in order to fit in at home, school, and work environments. Not expressing the positive, creative aspects of one's personality can lead one to feel unfulfilled, unappreciated, low self-esteem. Well, I'm just not smart enough to fit in. Who says? The others in the room who keep reminding you, like chiropractors, we're doctors. Call us doctor. Why do you need that? My God, that's a fetish. I don't hear anyone else I ever know who has a legitimate PhD or a medical doctor say, call me doctor. I mean, we're a society of narcissists. We're a society of such limited values and views. We can't open any door that we've locked where others have helped us lock that has the dark side of our being. And remember, you'll never go further in life into enlightenment as long as you've not embraced and understood and forgiven the dark side of your being. And also, there are many aspects of our personality that can lead one to feel unfulfilled, perhaps they are even unsure of why they feel this way. Those who've had a creative practice know the joy and fulfillment it can bring without respect to whether or not one is good at what it does. All of us at one time in America had hobbies. We all had hobbies. And hobbies gave us a chance to express ourselves creatively. Where, where do you see people today, individually or collectively, expressing positive, creative aspects of their nature? When was the last time a group of people got together and say, why don't we give our opinion of what could save the environment, starting with us individually and stop buying all this stuff and, and uh, stop bringing in precious metals that China controls and exploits Africa and other countries for that we use in the United States to make, you know, Tim Cook be able to afford a $40,000 dinner. Must have been some appetizer, Tim. Well, this is just insane. Since when do you have to pay a lot of money to have 
a seat at the table, and why is it only the major corporations that do business with China or want to do were invited to that dinner? Why, why was there no discussion of the Uyghurs or what they've done to destroy an entire culture in Tibet? Or how about, hey, where was LeBron James? His phenomenal ego wasn't there, was it? He'd be wanting you to take selfies with him and the premier, probably. Why didn't he ask for me to get these huge checks, not just me, Tiger Woods, and every athlete in the world are given billions of dollars in endorsements for products that are made in China. Do you exploit your labor in China? No, no comment. But of course they do. Or your dresses. Do you want to know where your dress is made? I don't think so. Because then if you say you're for women's rights, what about the women that suffer so you can have things without thinking about their suffering? This is the world we live in. And it's not going to change until we come up with positive, creative solutions. And we have to do it. Please don't think that someone's going to come and save your ass. They're not. You have to get up, get out of that mindset that, oh, I'm just one person, I don't count. Do you want me to tell you all the one persons in the world who caused everything that was positive to happen? It started with one person, never a group, never the senior deferred to experts, one humble individual. You want to know the most, one of the most powerful minds in American history that created more than any other inventor, including Thomas Edison? He was smart. He hired other people and then bought the rights to all their inventions and took credit for them. Like Lewis Latimer, black, invented the first incandescent light. It was not Edison. But be that as it may, it was George Orson Carver. And he was a slave when he started his creativity. He saved the South's economy with soybeans. The average kid today wouldn't even know who he is, let alone what he created. So I'm just saying that you as an individual, no matter what your background or age or limitations, you can still do things that are important for yourself and the world and society. Stop eating animal proteins. That would be a big plus. Shop locally. Insist upon more organic. And there will be, with your demand, a greater supply. So this brings joy back into your life and fulfillment. And that way, you can be a part of the future. Now, you're not going to be a part of the government, but those who are, hold them to account. Hold them to account. Go to meetings. You don't have to scream and blather and curse them. That only alienates the rest of the public from you because they wouldn't want to be humiliated and, and attacked. Be civil, but be honest. I'm going to show you a clip of someone who is civil but honest and called out a politician for them being pro-Zionist and bragging about it. And all the other idiots in Congress on both houses who refuse to demand all funding stop if there is not an immediate cessation of the, the attacks, and both by Hamas and by Israel, and then an independent group of people like Jeffrey Sachs and others who have a reputation for impartiality, except for the truth. They're very partial to the truth. And go in there and settle this and bring in international troops to safeguard both the Israeli people and the Palestinian people. But you're not going to have that because of who got money. And a lot of people got money. So you see, to take an attitude that is positive in order to take up an art form, learn to write, learn to create, learn to think, look at something that's a problem, say, i got some solutions. Take pen in hand and write it out. Learn to dance. Learn to shoot films. Learn to make documentaries. I'm going back on the road in two weeks in, in an RV that I'm going to have uh, completely redone so I have a, a radio studio and a film studio in the RV because i got a lot of places to go. i got three films to finish and i got to get one finished in two months, and these are powerful films. Brother, Can You Spare a Dime is a sequel to Poverty, Inc., and then I've got one on Addict Nation, that about 90% of the American public are addicted to different aspects of life, not just drugs or alcohol. That's a small percentage. But I'm talking about the careerist who can't stop climbing this mythical ladder because they think it's going to be the great thing they can do. It's not. So perhaps for the first time in your adult life, you may lead yourself into a realm of self-discovery and self-expression and fulfillment 
Now, do you think because these entitled, spoiled brat celebrities that I wouldn't have a conversation with because it would be a waste of my time because all they'd want to do is let me tell you how I feel. Well, I don't give a damn how you feel a celebrity. You're making millions of dollars. You don't have a real life. Everything is making sure that everything in your life is perceived as perfect, and it isn't. And then you go out, and, like Sean Penn, what a fool, and gets an Academy Award he won to one of the most corrupt people in the world and the single most corrupt country in the world, Ukraine. Yeah. And why don't you do some homework? Do you have any sense of scholarship? The answer is no, not in Hollywood. So we need a different mindset. We need a different way of knowing the world we live in and our place in it. And this is natural, and it's simply a part of the process. But over time, if you keep a positive attitude, you can only improve in your physical health, mental health, and allow that spiritual energy to manifest in positive change. There's no need to share your work with, uh, with others unless you want to, as it's for yourself. Eating well and organic, great. Take into your body only that which honors the body, better. In my protocols, I give guidance for a healthy diet. A healthy diet today is all organic, and, unless it's not possible, and based around a vegan and veg, vegetarian foods. The Mediterranean diet's a good example. Uh, yes, it has animal proteins in it, but for the average person who cannot make that full change, it's a good step in that direction. It's important to pay the extra price for organic foods because, contrary to what you've been told, pesticide exposure negatively impacts our health and is associated with many illnesses. Pesticides are poisons. That is why they are used to kill, and they have a destructive impact upon our bodies. However, for the struggling worker or the person on fixed income, the switch to an organic diet may seem simply out of the question as prices for organic foods in the grocery stores may be much higher than the non-organic foods. What is called for here is a shift in mentality, which addresses two things. First, our attitude. No one deserves to have pesticides in their food, and this is a result of corporate monopoly and corporate indifference uh, of our food system, and it's harmful to all forms of life. Therefore, we need to protect ourselves from this aberration this phenomenon, which could not happen in a moral society. You could not have corporations of any type creating anything that has deleterious effects to the country, the nature, and to humans and animals unless they were immoral. So we're not a moral society. We have moral people. We need to defend ourselves from this as we would from a thief. As chemicals used in agriculture today threaten to steal our health. This is quite uh, quite in plain sight. So just examine the farm workers regularly exposed to pesticides who suffer significant illness from the contact. To take this attitude can help us see the non-organic foods we buy more clearly as products used to make money and not promote health. And uh, so that's just one of the ways we can do it. So start with a positive attitude and everything you do, think before you do something, but start writing your legislators. Start writing the media. Now, they may or may not read it. Maybe a staff person will read it. But if you don't start off by attacking them, but rather an observation, you say something like this. This is not meant as a negative judgment. Rather, it is an honest observation. Okay, you're making an observation about how they continuously take money and uh, and do insider trading, and then they vote for everything that ends up being against human nature, human life, ethics, and morality. I don't care whether it's corn chips or microwave casseroles or chocolate chip cookies or packaged and fresh meat. You know, these are not, these are not healthy. And yet everyone gets addicted to them in time. So make healthy choices and look forward and say, what is the likely outcome if I continue to keep this positive mindset and keep seeing what's wrong. Even focus on one thing initially and get as educated as you can. You want to know about um, G5 and G6? Go to GaryAndAll.com and look under articles and look under the 22 articles written on the dangers of this and why you might be having environmental illness not even know it. You want to know about vaccines? Go see what I've written on vaccines. Let someone tell me which article 
that is an error because everything is documented and double-checked with real scholars. Yet they don't want to do that. They'll just throw some attack. Do your homework. Do lots of homework. And then address things. Now we're going to show you a short clip, very short, minute long. This is what everyone should be doing right now, who believes, only if you believe it, that there is no balance in our coverage of the Israeli conflict, that 99% of the mainstream media in Congress support Israel. In fact, they support them to the degree that uh, they want to give them blank checks indefinitely. And if it causes a war in, uh, in another country, uh, they're looking to go into Syria. They're already stealing its oil, the United States is. But if they want to attack Iran, the consequences could be nuclear. And nobody, nobody's going to win against Iran today. They've just learned too much. They have too much money. They have too much technology. And they're associated with China and Russia. But people are so stupid that they thought we could win after 20 years in Afghanistan where people had none of that sophistication. And we lost. And before us, the Russians were there and lost. Well, now, Afghanistan, you could put several inside of of Iran, and Iran has incredible amounts of technology, and yet they're talking, Lindsey Graham and others talking about, you know, if we have to destroy Iran, you know, and then they go after it. We don't want these kind of people making decisions for the whole world. They can make for themselves. They have a right to, not for you and I. So here's a, a pro-Zionist legislator giving a call in one of these public meetings. Here's what she has to say. I've been really kind to you, and I'm a Jewish American, and even though I'm Jewish, my white skin protects me in this country, so I'm going to lay it out to you. You're being a mealy-mouthed politician to take it, talking out both sides of your mouth. Israel has lost the right to defend itself in this case. This did not begin October 7th. As you probably know, apartheid has existed since Israel has existed in 1948. Like the United States of America, Israel is a white settler colonialist state and the Palestinians deserve a right to return to their homeland. You talk about the majority of your constituents, you're not listening to the majority of your constituents. You're listening to big tech, to the war machine in Silicon Valley, and to maybe some people who have time before this whole crisis began to call your office and have your ear. I know how politics works. Obviously, you are not going to unwound your heart for us, so we're just going to say this. We can't run someone against you at this time because that's closed in November. But your seat in 2026 is not yours. It's ours. And right now it's ours too. Your presidential ambitions are done. Your Senate ambitions are done. If you do not call for a ceasefire now, which is the leadership we need, you will not hold public office again in your next election. So thank you for your time. And thank you for showing to us who you actually are in your non-action. And I'll say one last thing. If you actually wanted to call for the bombings, put forward a resolution. Do it tomorrow. If you actually want something besides the ceasefire, put your actions into words and write a resolution so the rest of your colleagues that you're talking about will sign on, sign on to an end to the bombing. Thank you, Kareem. Okay. Again, that's just one person. But when was the last time in the last 50 years that anyone in America or the world could make an honest, accurate statement about something that they felt was not correct in the so-called democracy of Israel without being labeled an anti-Semite. It's just like many people from many of the, um, many of the agitators today will say anything a person says suddenly makes them a racist. It's insane. Math is racist. Van Gogh was racist. No, Van Gogh was not racist. And these people don't know their history, nor do they have civility and thought, nor intellectual acumen. But they get the microphone, and suddenly they get a platform, and suddenly they're raising hundreds of millions of dollars, buying houses. But we go through periods of sanity. We go through periods of mass psychosis. We went through this with, with McCarthy, an idiot, absolute degenerate idiot. And it was only because he went up against someone he shouldn't have gone up against the army that he finally was stopped. But think how many people lined up behind him, including Ronald Reagan, by the way. We're in one of that state now where we're involved in a group think mass psychosis and we're not showing our best. 
But here is one of the most intelligent observations you will see. When at a press briefing in Australia, the rencontre head of the United Nations on Gaza, probably the most knowledgeable person on the planet uh, about what goes on as an outsider who's been there, what goes on in the daily lives of a person living in, in there. And then she uses one word at the very end of her talk, and a journalist from The Guardian, that shouldn't surprise anyone, The Guardian is, my God, did it, it loses its original liberal leanings. But he, he wants to get, he wants to nail her like a gotcha. You use this one word. And she puts him on his heels. And then there's an analysis of this. The best part of this is the woman giving an analysis of something I'll bet none of you in this audience knew. Not even the Jewish scholars in this audience knew this. Well, some may have. Listen to what this is about, because this is really something that you would never hear, never be allowed in the American media, anywhere. We'll play it for you right now. Francesca Albanese is the UN Special Rapporteur on the Occupied Palestinian Territories, and she has recently given a speech to the Australian Press Club. In the question and answers session, a Guardian journalist named Daniel Hurst asked her this. I couldn't help but being tripped up by the very ending of your speech where you said that ending Jewish-Israeli domination would be rehumanizing acts for them as well. I just want to ask whether that sort of comment is helpful in the current climate, talking about ending Jewish-Israeli domination. You've applied it to that particular context, but you don't think the word domination has a, a wider connotation outside that context. What do you mean? I, talking about Israeli-Jewish domination. Meaning, are you asking me uh, in Israel? Well, I, you... I, I just, the phrase jumped out at me at the end of your speech, and I'm just wondering if the, the trope of domination... Uh, no, it's, it's not a trope. It's really real. So it seems not to understand what I'm saying. There is an apartheid regime. No, I'm serious. There is an apartheid regime. It's domination. This is not a trope. This is international law. I encourage you to read the apartheid convention because it talks about racial domination. And this is what I'm talking about. It might be a trope into your, sorry, into the way you interpret it. But I'm using domination in a strictly legal sense. Thank you very much for your questions. I mean, he had no follow-up, did he? I mean, he was he was very much put in his place. And how embarrassing! You know, you, 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 there is a there is a, a horrific war on Gaza. You are speaking to the UN Special Rapporteur on Palestinians, and or you can go, oh, I heard you say domination. Oh, that sounds a bit dodgy. I know anti-Semitism is in the news at the moment. Do you feel bad that you said domination? Do you think that could be a trope? Like, no. This is what a ridiculous question. And she put him down so effectively. And she was absolutely right to. Now, as she said, racial domination isn't a trope. It's a legal term included within the 1975 UN Convention on Apartheid. Now, this is the relevant passage. For the purpose of the present convention, the term the crime of apartheid, which shall include similar policies and practices of racial segregation and discrimination as practiced in South Southern Africa, shall apply to the following inhuman acts committed for the purpose of establishing and maintaining domination by one racial group of persons over any other racial group of persons and systematically oppressing them. Now, the convention then lists a number of actions which are understood to promote racial domination. We also know that the crime of intentional and systematic racial domination is being committed by Israel. Now, this is the front cover of the 2022 Amnesty Report, which judged Israel to be guilty of apartheid. So you can see there, Israel's apartheid against Palestinians, cruel system of domination and crime against humanity. So you're gonna, you, you, you've got the Guardian journalist who opens that and think, oh, Israel committing apartheid against Palestinians. That sounds kind of boring. Oh, but I can see the word domination. Oh, and we're talking about Israel. Oh, there could be a headline there. That sounds very interesting. Someone said, someone from the UN said that Israel might be dominating another racial group, that Jews in Israel are dominating another racial group. Now, as the UN rapporteur said, that's not a trope. That's what's happening, right? It's, it's material. This is not just in the realms of discourse. There is discrimination and domination of people in Israel because they are not Jews, right? Jews in, in Israel, it is a racial group. There is racial domination between Jews and non-Jews in Israel. Rivka, this idea that sort of just anything is a trope, right? Powerful Jews is a trope, so you can't talk about how Jews have power in Israel. 
You know, it's, it, 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 it's like if, if you were to talk about South African apartheid without being able to say that white people have more power in South Africa than everyone else. Right. And I mean, obviously, this environment in which it's impossible to speak about uh, Israeli Jewish domination. Albanese was incredibly precise with her language. She didn't just say Jewish. It was Hearst who abstracted the idea um, of Jews per se from what she was saying. So in a way, it's Hearst's own unconscious anti-Semitic biases that we should be questioning. But, you know, th this idea that it's impossible to critique Israeli Jewish domination without being accused of anti-Semitism is a situation that obviously Israel has constructed quite deliberately to insulate itself from criticism. Uh, you know, it's, it's also so evidently not a trope. It's enshrined in Israeli law. You know, the 2018 nation state law literally says that the right to exercise national self-determination in the state of Israel is unique to Jewish people. Only Jewish people have the right to self-determine in, in the state of Israel. And, and Jewish domination is inscribed in, in Israeli law. It's inscribed in the convention of the ruling party of Bibi's uh, Likud party, that between the river and the sea, there will be only Israeli Jewish sovereignty. <laughs> uh, coincidentally rhymes. Perhaps they should be using it as their chance on, on, their, march, on their marches. This idea that we uh, that, that Hearst is kind of suggesting, and and I think the kind of interaction that you see between them shows how deeply removed journalists' understanding of the situation is from the material reality. We're continually told, you know, criticism of Israel is legitimate if it's well informed, if it's reasonable. There is no one, perhaps, on this planet uh, who knows more about the situation on the ground than Francesca Albanese at this moment. She is the UN special rapporteur on the occupied territories she knows so much about the kind of uh regime of racial domination that israel is maintaining and yet when she attempts to speak about it she's still smeared as anti-semitic you know it shows how impossible uh the discourse around um israeli policy even when it's forensically detailed even when it's extremely well informed and highly specific in its language israeli jews not jews per se you know it's impossible to launch any criticism of, of israel in this environment you know in a Western media environment that extends clearly not just from the UK to the US, but all the way to Australia. Let us keep in mind that I'm not a fan of Qaddafi. In his earlier career, uh, he was a terrorist. But in his later life, he was not. And he brought a very failed state of Libya up to the highest standard of any state, most prosperous, longest lived, best educated, and most fair of any country, of the 54 countries in Africa. Yet we deemed him necessary to kill. And you can't kill someone. You can't drone him at first till you demonize him. And your demonization has to be the same talking points across the board by everyone. They don't question it. They don't because are you really? You, you mean we should kill this person? We're in droning him. You know, well, there's a, there's a party. There's a, you know, 50 people. Kill them all. You know, let God sort it out. That was said by the crusade, one well, of the first crusades, when not knowing which ones to kill and which not. And that's the policy now. And Americans have accepted, the head of the house, accepted, don't, don't have a pause. Why doesn't, why doesn't anyone ask this? I'd like to see every journalist in the United States go to, the, go to Gaza, but don't use your New York Times press credentials. Instead, just put press and have someone dress you up and uh, make you up so you look like a, a Palestinian journalist, all right? Let's see how many of you would be alive at the end of a day if you were shown out interviewing people. Let's have every member of Congress do the same. Let's have every member of the Supreme Court, every member of our judges, pawns, political ideologues that they are, do the same thing. Don't go there dressed up with the bodyguards no, go there and try to fit in and live for one month right now in Gaza and see how your perception of what should change would be. And I believe that many of you come back and say, wow, we didn't know this. We didn't know that these people were living as captives and under such control. Therefore, we should have a different approach, and it shouldn't be won by violence. Now, by the way, as you heard me, I condemned Hamas and believe that they should be held accountable 
and they're just equally as accountable in the sense of killing people, innocent people, because even if you kill a soldier, that's still someone's son or father or brother. To me, killing a, a, a person on the opposite side in a battle, stop and think, what happens at the end of the battles? Everybody goes home except those who are killed or those who go home maimed. And do we ever care about the mistakes we make? Never. Is anyone ever held accountable? Never. Not in America we don't, nor in Great Britain, uh, nor, in, nor in Germany. Uh, certainly never in France. They're too arrogant to hold people accountable for crimes like de Gaulle and his, uh, his programs, uh, pogroms against the Algerian people. So that's a part on us. I'm going to read you something now. Uh, this is on a separate subject, but the same people are in control, even though it's on a, a separate subject. It's about our upcoming election. And this is from uh, the Whiteheads, John Whitehead. And it's called Stop Drinking the Political Kool-Aid, America. Voting Will Not Save Us. Now, I disagree with that. I believe if we voted for John F. Kennedy uh, or if we voted for one of the independents, Cornell West, yes, things would change. Not as much with Cornell, certainly with John. Is John uh, right on his support, unbridled support of the Israeli government? No, he is not. And he's lost a lot of support from that. But as I said the other day, don't judge anyone by one action or one word or one thing that is wrong or you disagree with. Look at the totality of what they do, because, my God, could you imagine if we would have voted in Ralph Nader? But no one had the common sense, decency, or smarts to do that. They were all in that political new Democrat bandwagon. You saw what the hell that gave us, the Clintons and Gores of the world. Robert Kennedy is just too damn smart to allow the corporate America and the deep state to control him. He would dismantle the deep state. He would stop all the subsidies of major corporations. He would get us out of these wars. But on this particular one, he has made a mistake. Okay. Here, I don't know if any of you saw the movie a long time ago, Facing the Crowd with Andy Griffin, Patricia Neal. It was a really good movie back in 1957. It said, quote, We got to face it. Politics have entered a new stage, the television stage. Instead of long-winded public debates, the people want capsule slogans, time for change. The mess in Washington. More bang for the buck. Punchlines and glamour. We are one year away from the 2024 presidential election, and as usual, the American people remain eager to be persuaded that a new president in the White House can solve the problems that plague us. Yet what is being staged is not an election. It's a con game, a scam, a grift, a hustle, a bunco, a swindle, a flimflam, a gaffe, a bamboozle, and we, the people, are nothing more than marks, suckers, stooges, mugs, rubes, and galls. We're being duped into believing that this mockery of a choice between two candidates who are equally unfit for office actually translates to having some say in how the government is run. To the contrary, this particular con game is part of a long-running elaborate scam to keep the deep state in power and leave the populace deluded, distracted and incapable of demanding accountability, transparency, and decency from the government's cohorts. Politics is nothing more than entertainment. It's a heavy-scripted, tightly-choreographed, star-studded, ratings-driven, mass-marketed, costly exercise in how to sell a product, in this case a presidential candidate, to dazzle consumers who will choose image over substance almost every time. This year's presidential election, much like every other election in recent years, is what historian Daniel Borston referred to as pseudo-event, manufactured, contrived, confected, and devoid of any intrinsic value, save the value of being advertised. It is the, the end result of a culture that is moving away from substance towards sensationalism in an era of mass media. Got to say goodbye to our WB audience. They're going to go to the news. We're going to continue on PRN.live to the top of the show. And if you would like to call in and share your thoughts on anything I've discussed, please do so at 888-874-488. Noam Chomsky rightly observed, it is important to bear in mind that political campaigns are designed by the same people who sell toothpaste and cars. I would add to that, 
candy and condoms. In other words, we're being sold a carefully crafted product by moneyed elite who are masters in the art of making the public believe that they need exactly what is being sold them. Whether it's the latest high-tech gadget, the hottest toy, or the most charismatic politician. Politics is a reality show. America's favorite form of entertainment, dominated by money and profit, imagery and spin, hype and personality, and guaranteed to ensure that nothing in the way of truth, real truth, reaches the populace. After all, who cares about police shootings, drone killings, SWAT team raids, asset forfeiture schemes, private prisons, school-to-prison pipelines, over-criminalization, censorship, or any other evils that plague our nation when you can be sucked into an alternate reality so emotionally charged and entertaining as to make you forget that you live in a police state? But make no mistake, Americans only think they're choosing the next president. In truth, however, they're engaging in the illusion of participation culminating in the re- reassurance ritual of voting. It's just another blue pill, a ma- manufactured reality conjured up by the matrix in order to keep the populace compliant and convinced that their vote counts, and that they still have some influence over the political process. They don't. Stop drinking the Kool-Aid, America. The nation is drowning in debt crippled by a slowing economy, overrun by militarized police, swarming with surveillance, besieged by endless wars, and a military-industrial complex intent on starting new ones, and riddled with corrupt politicians at every level of government. All the while, we're arguing over which corporate puppet will be given the honor of stealing our money, invading our privacy, abusing our trust, undermining our freedoms, and shackling us with debt and misery for years to come. Nothing taking place on Election Day will alleviate the suffering of American people. The government, as we have come to know it, corrupt, bloated, controlled by big money corporations, lobbyists, special interest groups, NGOs, will remain unchanged. And we, the people, overtaxed, overpoliced, overburdened by big government, underrepresented by those who should speak for us, and blissfully ignorant of the prison walks closing in on us, will continue to trudge along a path of misery. Corporate greed will continue to call the shots in the nation's capital. Our elected representatives will grow richer and the people poorer. The elections will continue to be driven by war chests and corporate benefactors rather than by such values as honesty, integrity, and public service. All long gone in every agency of government and in the media. And in most of our churches and religious institutions, just shams. Just consider... It says to me that more than $10 billion will be spent on the elections this year, yet not a dime of that money will actually help the average American in their day-to-day struggles to just get by. And the military-industrial complex will continue to bleed us dry. Since 9-11, we have spent more than $8 trillion to wage wars abroad. And what exactly has that got us? Nothing but misery, damaged, and dead soldiers. Although the U.S. constitutes barely 5% of the world's population, American boasts almost 40% of the world's total military expenditure, spending more on the military than the next 10 biggest spending nations combined. Even with America's mighty military spread thin, the war drums continue to sound as the Pentagon policies uh, the rest uh, of the conditions. They tell us what they want, and they're active in 85 countries. America should, should be mad as hell. Many of our politicians, like kings, chauffeured around in limousines, flying in private jets, needing gourmet meals, all paid for the American tax by the taxpayer. They are far removed from those they represent. Such a luxurious lifestyle makes it difficult to identify with the little guy, the roofers, the plumbers, the blue-collar workers who live from paycheck to paycheck and keep the country running with their hard-earned dollars and the sweat of their brows. In conclusion, conveniently, politicians only seem to remember their constituents in the months leading up to an election, and yet we, the people, continue to take the abuse, the neglect, the corruption, the lies. Why? Remember this, people, and especially in this audience, you're going to get what you deserve. And then when you get it, you're not going to be happy, and you're going to be angry, and I'm going to ask you, what did you do to try to stop it? What did you do personally? 
well, as busy as I am, Gary, I don't have time to do anything except, except what? Complain? Complaining does not solve a problem. A mindset to look at the truth and for the truth and use the truth will. Thank you all for listening, and have a nice day.